You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay. Maybe not ordered, but why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case. Jonathan Handel with us, and he is a, a lawyer um, who's actually one of the leading authorities in, in uh, some of the press on um, some a lot of entertainment law issues, and um, and so he's one of the go-to people that people have been talking to on the issue of the area Supreme Court case. Um, but before we jump to Jonathan, a um, couple of shout-outs. Um, today is the 20, 225th anniversary of when um, George Washington took the oath of office to become the first elected president of the United States. Um, I'm sure you could hardly imagine what um, what, what the country would be like today, and uh, I hope he, he is pleased, at least. Um, we have some updates on the Silicon Beach. We have three of the um, um, seven candidates have been signed on. Um, David Knuth, Ted Lieu, and Marion Williamson have all responded favorably. So um, we're looking forward to bringing that to you on May 14th. And um, and then in addition, um, today is also the anniversary of the uh, the day that Berlin and Saigon fell. Um, and so interesting days historically. Um, interesting day here, week here in Los Angeles. Obviously, the world was kind of focused on us um, as we dealt with Donald Sterling. And um, now that we're glad that is behind us. Um, if you look at our blog, um, um, cyberlawradio.wordpress, um, we have some, an outline of the show, and we also have some information on this as well. Um, and um, so I have, um, I have blogged on this issue a little bit, and I'm definitely pleased to see Donald Sterling go. But um, the... Um, it turns out the tech community had its own Donald, Donald Sterling, and um, and that is a, a gentleman named, I shouldn't even use the word gentleman, a guy named Gurbash Shahal. He was the CEO of Radium One, and um, he also was um, summarily dispatched this week as uh, um, he was fired as CEO of Radium One, his $10 million job, after he um, he 
got off um, with just a slap on the wrist um, after hitting his girlfriend 170 times in 30 minutes. And it was on videotape, so he couldn't deny it, but then he nonetheless tried to do so in his blog and more or less blamed the victim. Um, and his blog and the company said that's an outrage and they fired her. So hats off to them for that. And uh, another shout out to um, to Betsy Henthorne. And it's a good lead into this because she is a uh, the personal assistant to Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan. And more importantly, she's also now the second person in our family to have completed Georgetown Law School at night. And so congratulations to her. She finished her her classes and good luck with exams. And um, so we are going to Jonathan in just a second, um, but we're going to be talking about the, uh, the arguments in the Aereo case, um, which were happened this week. And it came just as the Supreme Court um, made its ruling on the affirmative action case, in which once again, it seems to be believed that um, we are in a post-racial society and that racism seems to have been eradicated. Um, but um, as the instance we've seen with Donald Sterling suggests, um, that may be somewhat Pollyanna on their part. And so um, very unfortunate that they seem to be approaching it that way. But we, um, I believe we have Jonathan with us, do we? Yes, I'm back. Oh, thank you. I know we were having some technical difficulties. Uh, we have some noise in the background. If you can um, try to um, secund yourself someplace a little quieter. But um, Jonathan, as I mentioned, is uh, he's a contributor editor for The Hollywood Reporter, um, and he blogs on um, labor at, at Digital Media Law and on Huffington Post. Um, so, um, Jonathan, welcome with us. And um, we're just given the lead up to the Aereo case and how it was decided the same day as the Supreme Court um, allowed the Michigan uh, firm of action law. And um, it seemed to be the lighter fare of the day. Well, it, it was a very uh, exciting and momentous kind of the day. And, uh, and I apologize for the background noise. I actually was just at the, uh, uh, of all things, at the Hollywood Reporter Power Lawyers Breakfast. And, uh, you know, 100 lawyers or so at each billing at uh, $600 or $1,000 an hour, you can do the math. Uh, but, you know, perhaps it would be helpful if I, if I talk a little bit about the background of the case. I, I don't sure. repeat what you... Hey, explain okay. what Aereo is as a service. Sure. Aereo is a service that's, that allows you to watch broadcast television on your PC or cell phone, uh, live or, uh, or DVR. You can record it. And um, it... It offers you that service for only $8 a month, which is, of course, a lot cheaper than cable, uh, even the lowest level cable package you might buy. And the question is, why are they able to do it at that price? They're able to do it at that price because they don't pay retransmission fees to the broadcasters, and they don't have permission from the broadcasters. The broadcasters say that that's copyright infringement, and they sued. Uh, uh, Aereo prevailed, actually, in the New York courts, uh, federal court, uh, both the district court and the court of appeals, uh, and is now in the Supreme Court where we had the oral argument last week. Now, the, the reason the case is as difficult as it is, and as I've written an analysis piece in the Hollywood Reporter where people were saying things like, you know, I talked to various experts on copyright and the Supreme Court and so forth, and they were saying that this case would go as extreme eight to one in either direction, uh, just completely unpredictable, difficult case. And the reason for that is that uh, Aereo has tied its fortunes to precedent in the Second Circuit, in the New York federal courts, uh, in particular a precedent called Cablevision. 
Now that case held that remote storage DVRs are not a copyright infringement. They are legal. Now remember, a remote storage DVR is a uh, is a video recorder that where the hard disk and uh, recording facilities are at the cable company's head end, their central offices, rather than being in a set top box in your uh, living room. Right. The cable vision, right? So the cable vision court was depending on uh, precedent from 30 years ago, uh, selling Betamax, which held that video tape recorders, VCRs, were constitutional and were not, were, or rather were, were legal and were not a, uh, a copyright infringement. Um, I'll, I'll, let, I, I'll let you jump in at any moment where I can continue sort of on how that narrative worked, if that'd be helpful. Well, I, no, no, so far you're doing fine. It's just that you, there is that service, and the key part is that they don't, you know, they don't pay a royalty, but it, it really is. It's, they're, they're, they're arguing they're an outgrowth of Betamax. That's right. They're an outgrowth of Betamax and of, and of Cablevision. Now, uh, how, to understand that argument, you have to look at exactly how Arial works. Um, rather than having one big antenna and then feeding signal to you know, anyone who logs on and wants to watch, uh, Aereo has tens of thousands of tiny antennas, each the size of a dime, fingernail sized, uh, that are in a cabinet. And the antennas do nothing until someone logs on and says, I want to watch or I want you to record for me to watch later. Then the antenna tunes to that channel. It streams onto the hard drive. And even if you're watching live, you're not actually watching live. You're watching on a seven, six or seven second delay. And you're watching not directly from the antenna. You're watching from the copy that's made on the hard drive. And an individual copy is made for each user. So even if, Benedict, even if you and I are both, both hit record at the same time for the same channel, we actually have our own separate little antennas and our own separate sections of hard drive. Now, that's legally significant, uh, and certainly Aereo argues, because that makes this look like a remote storage DVR. You're watching from an individualized hard drive copy. Each, each user is. So from the standpoint of Aereo, this is what's called a private performance. The, uh, the uh, program is being streamed privately one-to-one from one hard disk section to one user. It just happens that there might be, you know, if it's the Super Bowl or something, there might be 10,000 users watching the same thing at the same time, but they're each watching their own copies. Now, Cablevision, as I said, said that remote storage DVRs are okay. The trouble from the broadcaster's perspective is that when you go on, you know, the area website, it says, hey, you can watch TV live. Uh, this, to the cable companies, looks like, or to the broadcasters, looks an awful lot like a cable system. And, of course, cable companies pay retransmission fees. Those fees are not as large as the advertising revenue that broadcasters get, but those retransmission fees are growing, whereas advertising revenue is flat or stalling out. So it's a very uh, important thing for the broadcasters financially, and they're very concerned. And, um, you know, and in terms of how the argument went, uh, we all know the Supreme Court is full of young hipsters who are very adept at technology, so I'm sure there was no learning curve. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. They do have law firms, of course, who are young hipsters, but there's, there's definitely a, something of a learning curve there. There was some, uh, and, and there's a lot of confusion about the possible effect of the case because the cloud computing industry weighed in on behalf of Aereo and said, hey, you know, if you find Aereo uh, uh, illegal, 
under the um, you know impermissible under the Copyright Act, you're going to have an effect on any cloud computing service where people can store content and then play it back, like an Amazon Cloud Locker, for example. Uh, and you're going to have an effect on remote storage DVRs. So the court really was struggling with that. They, the broadcasters say that finding in favor of Ariel would be the end of broadcasting as we know it, uh, and that uh, they would take, some of them say they would take their signals off the air, uh, although if they did, Spectrum would be unused and the FCC would probably reclaim it. So I'm, you know, you've got to have a little bit of skepticism uh, there as to whether that really would be the effect. <laughs> you know, I, I don't see broadcasts are saying, well, I, we have this valuable monopoly asset and we're just going to give it up and walk away. From right. It. I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen that argument. I've always been curious about it. But you know, what I keep seeing in all the articles about how the argument went was the headline, what about the cloud? And that um, that seems to be the ultimate so-called, to use another legal jargon, slippery slope that everyone seems to be worried about. Well, that's right. The cloud and RSDVR. And the, uh, the justices were struggling. Because on the one hand, some of them said, uh, Breyer said, for example, look, I don't know. If I find for you or, or if I find against you, I don't understand what effect this is going to have on other technologies. And I'm concerned. Flip side, Justice Sotomayor said, to, uh, to Ariel, look, you look an awful lot like a cable system, except you're the only one that's not paying retrans fees. And how could that be right? So they're, you know, it's like an optical illusion. You look at it one moment, it looks like a duck. You look at another moment, it looks like a goat. This thing looks both like a cable system and an RSDVR, and only one of those is legal without a license. And now, that's what they're struggling with. Can does Aereo allow you to get programming that you cannot get on your, your own cable system? No, but what Aereo is, right now it's broadcast, it's basically broadcast only, but they also do offer uh, Bloomberg News. And, okay. you know, the Bloomberg News channel, um, they, uh, you know, clearly if they, if, they're, if they win this case, they're going to start building out their content. And they become a threat, not just potentially to the broadcasters, but they become a threat to the cable companies because right now cable channels are all bundled. We have to pay for all these channels that we don't watch in order to get the few that each of us wants to watch. But if you've got Aereo at a much lower price point, that'll put pressure on the cable systems and satellite uh, to start unbundling. And um, but isn't I mean it strikes me because I, I have right now I have uh, FiOS and. Right. Uh, you know, I can um, watch something on TV, and then if I step up a mere, you know, five steps to to look something at my study um, and watch it on my computer, I have to pay another twenty, thirty dollars more a month, and for the same broadcast. That you see, that's the thing. The you know, the content industry is built on a monopolistic and restrictive access model that. You know, try to charge the consumer as much as you can in each different medium or each different uh, you know form of access, and restrict content by windows, by you know by time frames, by geography, and so forth. The internet is exactly the opposite. The ethos of the internet is to try to make you know all information available at all times on all platforms, uh, and at, you know whenever people want and at the lowest cost. And that's the conflict that we're seeing here: is that this is an internet-based service that comes to this with, a, uh, you know, with that approach. Uh, and the broadcasters and content companies are not uh, comfortable with that. 
And, and in some ways, it seems to be an tie in a little bit to the whole net neutrality debate because, you know, there you have, and right now with Chairman Wheeler's approach um, to allow the, you know, basically the cable companies to be a, a, a toll booth and double, and double dip in terms of what they charge for content. Um, here, they're, they're basically, the broadcast companies are delivering this content, and now they're saying, just because you use a different device to uh, re- retrieve it, I should be able to charge you extra. Well, I think you, I think you make a good point. Uh, it really is of a piece with that, and you know, the net neutrality issue is of, uh, you know, is of great concern because the, the FCC really is, you know, has reversed itself from a position of uh, you know, favoring net neutrality to a position that allows these kinds of, uh, of toll booths. Uh, and those toll booths those come in the form of carriage deals, interconnection deals between companies like Netflix and uh, Verizon, for example. They ultimately get passed on to the consumer, that cost. And uh, right. there is a, right? and there is a consumer revolt, you know, more and more signs of consumer revolt. The, uh, the fact that the Dodgers and Time Warner, you know, Time Warner Cable haven't been able to do a deal with DirecTV to get carriage uh, of their channel uh, as part of a bundle is, is real evidence that, you know, people are saying, look, this is just going to break the, you know, the horse's back or the camel's back. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 they have to, going back to the net neutrality thing, I mean, Wheeler's proposal um, was expressly rejected by his predecessor. You know, it, it, the FCC spelled out why that, you know, it doesn't make sense. And it's not going to yield. I mean, there's this um, pie-in-the-sky view that, well, if we give them this, then maybe they'll invest in, um, you know, expanding broadband capability. Um, you know, there's nothing that, to suggest that that would be true. Uh, you know, I think you're right. And, and look, this, this started, you know, 30, 40 years ago under, the, frankly, under President Carter, uh, this wave of deregulation, where the economy used to be very regulated in certain sectors, uh, telecommunications, airlines, uh, energy, uh, various other sectors. And uh, Carter, and actually Breyer, uh, uh, as a Senate aide to uh, Ted Kennedy, I think was pretty active in deregulation efforts, uh, you know, began a wave of deregulation that the Republican presidents accelerated. And we see this now in, you know, in deals like Comcast buying NBC Universal, uh, you know, now the Time Warner, uh, the Comcast TWC, uh, situation and uh, and absolutely in net neutrality. There is very much a uh, corporate, and I do apologize for background noise here. Uh, uh, there is very much a uh, you know sort of a corporate bias that I think makes the consumer in many cases the loser. And and so coming into this de- um, this debate over um, you know w- where should you draw the line on copyright versus not. You know, what, what is the sense on you know, the, the tea leave reading based on Monday's argument or last Monday's arguments? Well, there is a butcher's thumb on the scale, which is that the uh, Solicitor General's office, the, uh, the, the part of the Justice Department that advocates in the Supreme Court on behalf of the government, uh, weighed in in favor of the broadcasters. They filed a brief, and they had 10 minutes out of the, uh, uh, the oral argument time. And the argument that they make is that you know, uh, Aereo uh, violates copyright. Uh, they also try to distinguish the uh, cablevision case and say that you can find in favor of the broadcasters but not overrule RSDVRs and cloud computing. 
Cablevision itself filed a brief that says much the same thing. Uh, the trouble with those briefs is that the distinction they attempt to make is not very intellectually compelling. Uh, the key leaves before the argument were that um, Aereo faced a, you know, an uphill, uphill climb. Uh, I think afterwards, uh, it's, if anything, people are left more unsettled than ever and wondering is the, which way is the court going to go. Uh, there was a suggestion that the court might want to find that Aereo is a, is actually is a cable system and remand for determination of what that's about. And that was interesting because both sides argued that Aereo is actually not literally a cable system under the definition of, uh, in, the, uh, in the act. So it's, it, you know, it spin the wheel and see where you, where you end up. That's about as well as you can predict. Well, we're going to take a spin of the wheel and, and uh, a short break. And um, for our sponsors, um, you listen to Cyberlaw and Biz Report. We'll be back with more on this, this uh, important case after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. There are many things we would love to catch. Catching the final out of a baseball game. And that's ball game. Reeling that big catch of the day. Or catching a ride home. Taxi! How about catching more attention, like the biggest retail brands on earth? Introducing Catchy.com, where they sell short-branded, attractive.com domain names. Use a short and catchy brand, just like Sony, Visa, and Nike for your next business venture. You can even rent to own for as low as $100 a month. Catch a big break for your business with Catchy.com. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-related algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Affiliate marketing is changing rapidly. The balance of power is shifting, and in some cases, affiliates are growing larger than the brands they represent. Stay ahead of this and other trends with the Affiliate Marketing Insider. On demand anytime inside the Affiliate Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back um, from our special, we're here for our special Supreme Court edition, and uh, with our usual attempts to make analogies to um, Diana Ross and the Supreme songs. And um, so this is your little touch in the morning from uh, us here at uh, Webmaster Radio. So, um, Jonathan, 
Um, we only have a few minutes left, and um, I thought you might want to tell us a little bit about your practice. Oh, absolutely. Thanks very much. Uh, I think two things. I am a practicing entertainment and technology attorney and also, as you said, a contributing editor to The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, in my practice, I represent uh, companies, uh, small companies in particular, often uh, individuals, directors, writers, um, software companies, software users, and uh, my practice is transactional, so I deal with contracts and negotiations. I'm a former computer scientist and uh, a graduate of Harvard College, Harvard Law. I've been doing this for more years than I want to think about, but it's very enjoyable. And uh, I try to bring both a business perspective and a legal perspective to my clients. Now, you, you, um, you, your days in Cambridge, you actually you were on the city council at Cambridge, weren't you? I wasn't, actually, um, though I, I, I appreciate the promotion. I was, um, I was on the Cambridge uh, Human Rights Commission uh, prior okay, to law yes. school. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when I graduated college, I realized that Cambridge did not have a uh, local civil rights law, so I sort of got active and wrote one and lobbied and um, was able to get it passed. And, and um, so, so I, was appointed, I was appointed to that. I was also on the, uh, the Democratic uh, City Committee, the political party committee, and Democratic delegate and that kind of thing. So I was pretty, uh, pretty active. So um, it's been uh, as we we. Do, we come to a decision on this this this, this great area of debate. Um, you, where do you think the Supreme Court is going to come out? You think they will come for the broadcasters? I think, in some shape or form, they probably will come for the broadcasters at the end of the day. But I think it's going to be a a very big struggle for them because I think they recognize the intellectual difficulty of uh, separating aerial from the other technologies, from RSVR and cloud. We won't know for sure until the opinion comes down, which uh, will probably be at the end of June. Uh, it's going to be closely watched, and people are, are, are waiting for it. Yeah, is, and is there, is there a middle ground or, or a, a punching ground for them to take? Well, you know, that's interesting. Um, there, were, there were other copyright arguments that the broadcasters made in the lower court um, in their complaint that they didn't make in the preliminary injunction motion. Um, looks like we may have lost our guest, but he was talking about some of the lower court arguments um, that were made in the Aereo case. And uh, you know, it's an interesting issue. And again, we're seeing this, um, you know, here we are in Silicon Beach where um, entertainment and technology come, come together so often. Um, but so often in these legal battles we're, we're seeing when it comes to copyright, there's the, um, the advancing disruptive technology running into the battle with the old guard um, entertainment um, companies and you know, big business versus, I guess, uh, small disruptive business and with potential, um, you know, huge technological breakthroughs and um, different market um, arrangements based on that. And uh, so um, we, we're going to keep seeing that. We, we saw that battle with SOPA. Uh, we're seeing it here. Um, we're going to see it with the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be an ongoing battle. And uh, so um, the, clearly the, it looks like the Obama administration and, and to the extent that the um, Solicitor General, who is the, for those unfamiliar, is uh, the Justice Department official who argues uh, before the Supreme Court 
and uh, it is their position, it argues the position of the United States government, even in cases in which the United States is not a party. It's a, it's kind of a, it's a very prestigious position to hold um, and often can lead to a Supreme Court um, nomination. Actually, Justice Kagan was the Solicitor General before him, and, um, and for example, um, Thurgood Marshall was Solicitor General before becoming a justice, and uh, other famous um, you know, Solicitor Generals include um, um, Judge Bork, as well as Ken the Star of the uh, famous Whitewater um, investigation and impeachment proceedings. So, um, but that's the role, and it seems that the you know the Solicitor General has taken this aside of the entertainment conglomerates, and um, so we'll have to see how this breaks out. Um, we're still trying to see if we can get Jonathan back, um, but he's uh, he actually his background is also he's done a lot of work on the. Um, the Writers and Actors Guild contracts. He's very um, often quoted as a source on those issues. And uh, here, for example, when we had the um, writers strike in um, in the Hollywood a few years back, he was very, he was often quoted on that. And um, so, but um, we are we will hope we can get them back if we can't um we can move on to our next segment so it is an interesting time here in los angeles as i mentioned earlier um with all the drama we had with the los angeles clippers and which was really an evaluation and uh a moment for a city to stand up and say that is not who we are and um you know i think you the universal response and um, the coming together that occurred, and you know, I, I'm, I've I myself felt compelled to say, you know, we 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 are LA, we are better than that. And um, so, um, Jonathan, do we have you back? We do, and I apologize. Uh, I, uh, not sure. for, I don't apologize for being back, but I apologize for the technical difficulties. Yeah, you know, I wasn't sure if the NBA commissioner had got you or not, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, any event, we were just um, talking about how this this battle is seems to be part of a recurring battle that we're seeing between old guard entertainment versus you know, the new disruptive technologies, and that um, you know apparently it looks like the Obama administration, through the Solicitor General, has taken the side of the old guard. Well, that's that's exactly right, and you know we we talked uh, about uh, the Sony Betamax case from 1984, I believe. Uh, a couple minutes ago, and you know what Hollywood said at the time was that the home video recorder would destroy the uh, motion picture business, and was the biggest threat to the business uh, you know imaginable. And of course, it turned out to be exactly the opposite. It was a cash cow. Uh, home video became for motion pictures and saved the business. And ever since then, if not before, uh, the technologists and you know the digerati uh, have been understandably skeptical of Hollywood arguments that the sky is falling in this new technology. You know, you, you see this over and over again. In the music business, you saw a refusal to adapt and to, uh, to bring music to consumers in ways that they wanted uh, and in ways that might have represented a compromise between piracy on the one hand and, uh, you know, just uh, restrictive uh, availability on the other. And the music business suffered for it. And it is a good question to ask, you know, why doesn't Hollywood adapt and stay ahead of the curve uh, more effectively? But there really is a, uh, 
you know, a, a legacy issue here. People are very entrenched in their business relationships and their skill sets, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't come easy for people change. And, and we're going to see that again when the time comes, you know, a year or two or whatever it is from now, when the time comes to, you know, once again they ask to extend the copyright um, term in order oh, to make sure that Mickey Mouse is is still protected by copyrights. And um, so the um, you know, this will continue, and so at some point you got to say, listen, you know, Mickey Mouse at some point is public domain. Um, and what's interesting is I was at a forum at the uh, um, the academy, you know, motion pictures, and and one hand, and they, at, uh, there was a director who was saying about how we need stronger copyrights. He doesn't want people, you know. Um, taking his films and using them without paying them. But, um, and then he took a breath, but he talked about how, but I don't want to have to pay for all the music and other stuff I have to use. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> in the same, you know, within a, a minute of each other, the same person said, you know, I, I don't want to have to pay what I have to pay to get all the music rights and stuff and clearances. But once my film is done, then, you know, no one else better touch it. And, and so... Yeah, I mean it's you know um, why should I be cons- you know why should I be consistent? Let someone else worry about that. <laughs> you know, it's um, I I teach as an adjunct at Southwestern Law School and at USC Law School, and you know I ask I, I don't really even dare ask my students. I, I sort of hinted at it, and everyone was nervous. Uh, you know, these are these are young you know aspiring lawyers who want to do entertainment law, and if you ask them. Uh, how many of you download music without paying for it or download, uh, you know, television episodes or movies without paying for them? Um, you know, it's just not a question you can ask in polite company. Uh, content is under, you know, is under siege. I mean, and there are a lot of reasons, one of which is a simple reason of supply and demand. There's so much more content available so much more easily and content of all sorts. I mean, whether it's a cat video, whether it's an amateur, you know, whether it's a, a homegrown web series whether it's professional content, whether it's spending time on your Facebook page, all of those things compete for time that people, you know, would otherwise spend uh, doing, uh, you know, watch it in the past, watching uh, Hollywood content. And yet the amount of time that people have to consume content, uh, as well as the amount of money that people have, uh, is limited. And right. you have a supply and demand mismatch there. Greater supply, no particular increase in demand. Of course, the valuations go down. And actually, the time people have to watch um, consumption, these type of things, is is more limited than they think. As this, this week, um, some person was um, on Facebook commenting on some video and then was killed in a you know, car accident moments later. So, um, But I want to thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure having you. If people want to uh, learn more about um, your work and especially uh, with The Hollywood Reporter, um, you know, how, what's the best way to contact you? Well, the best way to reach me is through my website, jhandel.com, J-H-A-N-D-E-L.com. And The Hollywood Reporter, you can find at THR, The Hollywood Reporter, THR.com. Well, thank you again. And um, so please uh, let us, maybe want to have you back and talk about area once it's finally decided. But, um, you know, it's been a pleasure having you. And uh I believe we're going to go to our next segment now. But thanks for joining us, and I look forward to talking to you later. Thanks very much, Bennett. Bye-bye. 
Thank you. Um, do we have Ed Marger ready? Um, Ed, our next guest, is uh, a quite distinguished lawyer. I mean, he's represented, um, he actually currently represents, I believe, um, Baby Doc um, Duvalier, the former president of Haiti, I saw in one instance. But um, he's uh, renowned and uh, had a number of cases before the Supreme Court. And um, so let um, me tell you a little bit about him. He's um, Ed Marger is, uh, has over 60 years of experience in law, and uh, so he's no rookie. <laughs> and uh, um, he's practicing law in Florida, Georgia, and the District of Columbia. Um, Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? I can now, yes. Yes, thank you for joining us. We're just um, going into your background, and um, you've had quite a, quite a career so far. And um, so um, we brought you on. I know you've made a number of comments and uh, have a great interest in the, the possibility of Supreme Court maybe someday addressing um, the current NSA scandal. And um, I guess this week we were, there was a discussion with uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia and um, Justice Bader Ginsburg, who I was surprised to learn actually are, are great friends. Um, with, uh, I believe it was Bernard Kalb, talking about their views on a number of matters from First Amendment cases and the issue of the NSA, um, the possibility of them reviewing the NSA uh, uh, case was raised. And Scalia said that he thought they were the least equipped um, institution of government to handle it. What was your impression? I think that Scalia is telling you the truth. He's telling you that they don't know what they're doing, but they'll do it. <laughs> well, I think that's what Ginsburg said in, in a different way. Um, I, I guess, as, as is often the case in their in their careers, um, you know, Ginsburg said that you know, we may not have a choice. It, it may be presented to them, you know. But the issue is, was what what are they asked to decide versus what you know the political institutions are asked to decide. Well, you know, again, it gets back to that powers situation. The NSA is part of the executive branch of government. The Supreme Court is its own branch of government. And can they tell the executive what to do? The answer is yes. Will the executive do what they tell him to do? <laughs> it's probably answered no. Andrew Jackson answered that question. What do you say? How, what, what army do they control? What was the quote, I believe? I think it was when uh, Mr. Marshall gets a militia, uh, they can tell me what to do. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, failing to adhere to a Supreme Court decision would be could be an impeachable offense. Um, but we never, we never, have we ever had a showdown where uh, a, a sitting president has been defiant of a Supreme Court order? Other than Andrew Jackson, I know of none. However, that doesn't mean that none existed. It may not. It may have happened, but not been disputed publicly. And uh, I mean, there was the showdown over the tapes, but um, when they're Nixon. But if, if I was young at the time. But as far as I can remember, um, you know, he did turn them over. Absolutely. Even Nixon listened to the Supreme Court. Sometimes I wonder that we have to. <laughs> so, uh, well, how do you how do you think uh, uh, an NSA type case 
would be treated by the court because there's obviously um, historical um, leniency. Not leniency is probably a poor word, but um, there's a lot of leeway given to the government in national security and by the Supreme Court. Well, the problem is that the Supreme Court very often upholds the authority of the government, including the police. And I think the Supreme Court will ultimately rule that the NSA can conduct surveillances if they have reasonable belief that the people that they're looking in on might in some way be involved with national security. Of course, all spy agencies, all espionage agencies, all agencies dealing with the power uh, to deal with national security believe that whatever they're doing is correct. And they will fight to their dying breath, or basically to the citizens' dying breath, to uphold their right to listen in on anything, including conversations between husbands and wives in their own home. Now, um, or or girlfriends and uh, husbands. Yeah, girlfriends, (laughs) that's a sterling question. Yes, Um, which it's interesting you bring that up. There's a a guest on this who's been on this show before who uh, clearly um, is a very ardent, supporter of the First Amendment, and uh, but, but clearly you know, is offended by what Sterling said. But, but he said that, you know, the um, denouncement of Sterling clearly represents a rejection of the worst of our old society, um, but that what the use of, you know, tapes, uh, electronic communications, um, you know, which is a viol- it, 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 the recording of it without consent in California is a violation of law, and that for that to be used so freely and so readily, um, you know, and and that is there's no um, really retribution or it seems to be any punishment for you know, how, the how this was leaked, um, you know that and it's you know that's the modern. Um, horror that we face. He's afraid of an error, and, and we have, you know, just this week we have Supreme Court talking about to what extent can there be warrantless searches of cell phones when when you're in custody. Um, you know, so he sees this all as some part of an, an Orwellian problem. You know, ding dong, you know, Donald Sterling's gone, but um, you know, we we now have a very modern world where um, people can. Um, Apparently, it's eavesdrop and then leak your conversations. Well, you know, we now know that not only does NSA spy on its own citizenry, but many of the countries in the world with sophisticated equipment spy on their neighbors, namely on some other country. We do it. Snowden told us that we do it. And... uh, what do we do about that? Do we stop trying to find out what other countries are doing to us? Is there a difference? Can we listen to Putin telling what he'd like to do to the U.S. or to Joe Jones, who is talking about not liking what the Supreme Court does? There's a big difference. I don't think there's a Fourth Amendment question in regard to no. the countries. 
I, I think there's a political. I mean, obviously, well, if it is a political question, and obviously, that's some, it shouldn't be one for the court to decide. But I think this is a in dealing vis-a-vis our, especially our allies. You know, I think there's, um, you know, statecraft and has included spycraft, you know, from its inception. And I don't have a problem necessarily with, uh, you know, monitoring, you know, the, the machinations of the Merkel government. Um, but I think maybe where it, it could be somewhat suspect and, um, and, and, and deviation from traditional norms is where, um, which what seems to have been the case with Brazil, where we're not just, you know, monitoring the Axis state, but we were actually monitoring their um, state industries, um, clearly looking to, um, to get some benefit in upcoming negotiations. Well, you know, in modern society, everything seems to go. When I was a young lawyer, you didn't have to worry about who you were dealing with. You shook hands, you made a deal, and that deal was always followed. Nowadays, if things aren't in writing, they're worthless. And even if they're in writing, between the parties that signed that agreement, if one of the parties is worthless, so is his signature. Uh, I think that in countries it's the same thing. Who's a good guy? Are we supposed to do things according to ethical consideration, according to what we're supposed to be, namely a democracy? Are we supposed to always be above board? Impossible. Sometimes we have to be the bad guy. But we have to be the bad guy all the time? I don't think so. And in the NSA situation, I think that's being the bad guy whenever they listen to or break into a conversation on the part of the citizens of this country. Um, let me interrupt you right there. We're just going to take a short break. When we come back, we want to talk to you a little more about this very point. So you're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. We've got Edward Marger, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. This is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. We know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. And you can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at the Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for the 18th Annual International Web Award Competition. Web Marketing Award winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Award site. Visit www.webaward.org to nominate your company, site, or organization. The call for entries has begun, and the deadline to enter is May 30th, 2014. Go to www.webaward.org and sign up today. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and 
save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. You are dedicated and devoted to a life of developing new ideas and innovations. Willing to take calculated career risks, achieving independent wealth and success. Then you are ready to experience the entrepreneur effect. On demand at any time. Inside the Internet Marketing Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we've been talking about uh, the NSA and the Supreme Court. And um, so how soon do you think this issue will come before the Supreme Court? I don't know. It's something of uh, very important uh, I think very important to the public. I think it's important to our country, and I think the Supreme Court should take it as rapidly as they can. Hopefully, within their present uh, adjournment, within their present court docket. And um, base, if if something with this court, you seem to believe that they would they would basically uphold the, the power of the NSA. And there's one strange nuance. The Supreme Court Justice, um, Chief Justice, appoints um, the members of the FISA court. Would that somehow put, give him a conflict in reaching a decision on um, anything involving FISA? No, I wouldn't think so. I think that he does that as part of his ministerial duties, and I don't think it presents a conflict. And um, have, did you pay attention at all to this week's arguments on the cell phone cases? I did not pay attention to the argument itself. However, I've been watching the news reports on it, and I'm familiar with the case. And, and what do you think uh, should be the appropriate case? I guess it was a case where um, there, uh, some gangbangers were arrested, and the cops, while they had them in custody, you know, since gangbangers are known to take trophy pictures, um, pit- Picked their cell phone and scrolled to see if they had any photos um, from the crime scene. Which they did. Which they did without a warrant. I think that the the Supreme Court, unfortunately, will say that that's an incident of arrest and therefore allowable. I don't think it's allowable at all. I think it's another intrusion into our privacy. But I believe it will be a 5-4 decision. And I think that uh, they'll uphold the right of the police incident to arrest to discover anything. Well, I, um, we only have a few minutes left, and I want to thank you for joining us. If people want to learn more about you and your practice, um, what's the best way for them to do so? They can check my website on edmarger.com, and we'd be glad to speak to them. All the pertinent information about myself is on that. Thank you, including a lovely photograph of your dog. Well, my dog's the most important thing I own. And it's not just a dog, it's a lawyer dog. It's a lawyer dog. Oh, I have to talk to mine to see whether it has the proper training. (laughs) Well, all the best to you, and thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
So that that concludes our special Supremes edition. Uh, I think Braska was preparing to do a solo um, of Diana Ross, but he hadn't selected the number, so I guess I'll have to close out. But I want to thank you, as usual, for joining us here at Cyber Law and Biz Report. Um, be sure to download our mobile app so you can take us with us wherever you go. And um, stay tuned. We'll be in two weeks from this date. We will have the very first Silicon Beach Congressional Debate. And um, so um, we'll have more updates on that next week. But um, until then, have a very safe week and a happy Rhode Island Independence Day on Sunday. And until then, um, courts adjourned. We'll see you next week. All the best. This is Bennett Kelly of the Internet Law Center. Um, check out our blog, cyberlawradio.wordpress, and check us out at the Internet Law Center at internetlawcenter.net. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.